You're listening to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ 750 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. Good morning and welcome to On The Way. This is Beth White, your host for this morning from the Office for Evangelization and Missionary Discipleship of the Archdiocese of Chicago. So this morning we're going to talk about a couple topics that are important. Um, the first one is about what's going on in terms of racial equality. And the second topic of the day, we're, we're going to talk about our Catholic newspaper and the way in which it's evangelizing and all the stories that they've been covering lately and the importance of keeping up to date through a Catholic perspective. But first up is Ryan Lentz. He's our director for Human Dignity and Solidarity here in the Archdiocese of Chicago. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Beth. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. We got a beautiful week this week with uh, summer coming in. So I, I know. I love it. It's hard to believe that it is July. So Ryan and I usually work together in the same office space. Um, in the same building, and we haven't seen each other since March, so it's kind of odd, <laughs> Just, isn't it? Yeah, unless, unless Except Zoom, by and, Zoom. And teams count. <laughs> exactly. Teams and Zoom is the only way we've actually seen each other. So thank you That's so right. much for joining me this morning. So um, last week, we, we do an annual—or, uh, I'm sorry, we do a phone call. Um, it's not going to be every three weeks, but during the, um, the height of the pandemic, it was every week. It's called Tuesdays Together, and it's an archdiocesan-wide um, sort of meeting, right? It's an mm-hmm. online meeting. And so um, Ryan was featured last week on Tuesdays Together to talk about the Catholic response um, to the racial injustice that we're seeing right now. So um, I thought it'd be great for him to be on and talk a little bit about it and then talk about the resources from his office, Human Dignity and Solidarity. So mm-hmm. Ryan, so can you tell us a little bit about what you guys have been up to in these last couple of weeks to respond to this? Yeah, well, I think part of it is just making folks aware of some great resources that um, that are out there. Um, one that I would start with right away is um, uh, less than two years ago, the U.S. Catholic bishops issued a new pastoral letter on racism called Open Wide Our Hearts. It had been about 40 years since um, the, the, the collective body of the U.S. bishops had, had issued a letter on uh, racism, the previous one being called Brothers and Sisters to Us, that I believe um, was published in 1979. So it had, it had been a long time since the, 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 the whole body of bishops had, had weighed in on, on racism in a major letter. And this came out, and it talked a lot about um, many of the kind of current issues that um, have been 
um, embroiling our country, um, you know, in the last few years, um, you know, as Black Lives Matter has has kind of come to the fore and, and other issues. And um, and so the, the letter itself uh, is available um, at usccb.org slash racism. But what they also did is they developed a lot of really helpful resources for parishes and schools to use. And so there are educational resources from young kids all the way to adult uh, age level. Um, you know, lesson plans and, and reflection guides and things like that. Um, the, the ad hoc committee on racism that really took the lead on, on developing this letter um, has also issued some new statements and um, videos and other resources um, even within the last couple of weeks. So if you go to usccb.org slash racism, you'll find all of those uh, resources there. Um, there's also just some amazing books out there. Um, one that I recommend to, to folks who are Catholic is uh, Racial Justice in the Catholic Church. It was written about 10 years ago by, um, by Father Brian Massingale, who um, folks may know. He was at, the, uh, or at the Marquette for a number of years. He's at Fordham University now. Um, but he did an amazing uh, job of just really kind of um, looking at the history of, of Catholic Church documents um, on racism, and, and really just looking at the reality of the Catholic Church. And, and a lot of it is, is really lamenting, um, you know, the, the racial injustice that has been uh, present even within our church over the many years, um, but also providing some really creative ways to look at how we can move forward and really embracing uh, our tradition, using things like our sacraments and other forms of prayer and, and action that can help us to move forward. Um, so those are two um, with a specifically Catholic lens that I would recommend right off the bat for for individuals or groups that are, are wanting to kind of go deeper um, into their learning and into their reflection about where the Catholic Church is. So what's interesting is the open wide our hearts. I um, I recently read that since all of this has been happening, just to get a perspective um, from the Catholic Church. And it deals with African Americans. It also deals with um, Native Americans and Hispanics and really um, the root of sin of racism and how we um, how we may not think that we're individually racist, um, but the systems in place are persistently um, show that there's a, um, a sort of a dominant race over the other races. Um, what is some of the work that um, so have you like in terms of this document, what struck you in this document? Well, I think the point you're making is is very well said. That you know, oftentimes when we when we start talking about race and racism, um, I think where we end up having a stumbling block is when we get stuck talking about individual actions. Exactly. Oftentimes, people, people, and, and thankfully, you know, we live in a society that being labeled a racist is considered this terrible shame and something that people don't. No one wants to be you know, outed as a racist. Um, but I think if we just get stuck thinking about personal bigotry, personal prejudices, we miss out on the bigger reality, which is that that, 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 um, that race prejudice has been deeply embedded within our systems and institutions. And as you say, you know, we, and, and I think a, a lot of this, what I've recognized on my own journey is a lot of it is relearning our history because, mm -hmm. often, you know, when we, we, we can't talk about the history of the United States without talking about the genocide of the Native American people yeah. who were on this land before European settlers arrived and, uh, and, and the reality that, that much of our country was built on the backs of African slaves. So, you know, we, we, that, that, that's so central to the, the, the telling of the story of our nation. Um, and we don't always fully acknowledge that 
you know, that's a, that's a, that's a, the legacy of that still is with us today. And so, um, you know, when we think about how our educational system is formed, when we think about um, representation within government, when we think about the, the, the judicial system and the justice system, when we think about um, how housing has played out over the years, um, racism is, is deeply embedded within these, these different systems and institutions. And, and while we've made progress in many ways over the years, you know, certainly we can look at the progress made in the 1960s, for example, um, in, in the civil rights era, um, there's, there's still much, much, much work that needs to be done if we want to be serious about dismantling racism. And so we need to, rather than looking at that kind of individual bias, we need to have an analysis that really looks at, okay, how are systems and institutions that we're all part of, whether we want to be part of them or not, um, you know, we, we have to come up with solutions that really addresses that, that level. I was, um, I've been really struck. I listened to NPR when I used to drive back and forth to work a lot. And there were a lot of stories on the education system here in Chicago. And there was a particular story about, um, and I'm not going to know all the details because I haven't done research, but I just remember this story, is that there was a school that was predominantly African-American that was sort of down the street from this more gentrified community that had become, this school had become very white and it had grown beyond capacity. And instead of um, sort of blending with that other school, that school, the, the predominantly white school, was advocating for expanding its physicality um, and not actually opening itself up to blending with the predominantly African-American school. And it was interesting because all studies show that um, all tides lift. So um, every education study shows that by having a, um, a very diverse group of folks, um, the, the children are stronger and they grow and they learn. It doesn't, they don't get pulled down, as it were. Um, they get mm-hmm. lifted up. And um, I was struck by the fact that statistics are showing that our school systems are becoming more and more um, segregated, um, which is something that was fought hard against in the 1960s. Um, but mm-hmm. just because of neighborhoods. And those are interesting things that we don't even think about, I think, sometimes, um, that we're part of that whole process without whether we realize it or not sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And I think it, it really speaks to um, oftentimes how, how decisions are made out of fear, too, right? Yes. You know, we all mm-hmm. we all want the best for our families and for our children and, and you know, making decisions that are in the best interest of, of the, you know, the flourishing of our, our families is is you know that's that's being a responsible parent but i think it's also yeah to your to your point you know making making the 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 leap to to also understand okay well it's not just my individual choices here you know like the the decisions that we make as a community like oftentimes i think we we kind of get very narrow kind of tunnel vision about these things and we don't always recognize okay well if we really want to embrace our our catholic identity and saying that we are all you know, that, you know, everybody in our neighborhood is our brothers and sisters. How do we come up with solutions that are not just best for my individual family, but also how do we how do we find solutions that that really do uh, raise up the uh, the whole community and, and come up with uh, solutions that, um, you know, that are just and equitable for all. There's a beautiful quote in this um, letter, Open Wide Our Hearts, and it's on evangelization. And because people are like, well, what is this conversation have to do with evangelization. And it's a beautiful quote, and it's from what we have seen and heard, a pastoral letter on evangelization from the black bishops of the United States, and it's from 1984. And the quote is, evangelization, which is the work of the church, 
means not only preaching, but witnessing, not only conversion, but renewal, not only entry into the community, but the building up of the community. Race, and then it goes on to say, racism is a moral problem that requires a moral remedy, a transformation of the human heart that impels us to act. And I thought that was incredibly beautiful that, you know, it isn't this moment in time is an opportunity for us to individually sort of reflect on our own biases or our own sort of understanding of things. And maybe we aren't biased, but how do the systems in which we participate in um, and that's about renewal, right? And mm-hmm. that's about us being witnesses to Jesus Christ, that we're all brothers and sisters from the same God. And, um, and it's about building up our communities. Um, so what are some ways that people can act in this time, Ryan? Well, w- one thing that I think um, you're naming really powerfully is how we need to find spaces for encounter and for dialogue yeah. and for, um, for that, that kind of um, renewal to, to occur. Yep. And, and uh, I think from, in my experience, one of the most powerful tools that I've ever encountered with this is, um, is a tool called uh, Peacemaking Circle, which is actually, we, we get this tradition from um, our indigenous brothers and sisters, people who inhabited this land long before our ancestors arrived, um, you know, using talking circles to resolve conflict, to um, discern big decisions, to um, mark, you know, passage of, of, this, of seasons and, and special occasions. And so um, we're very blessed in Chicago to have a number of um, great locations like the Precious Blood Ministry of Reconciliation and other places that are really embracing restorative justice and using peacemaking circles as a tool to um, to just break open spaces for, for telling stories and creating safe and sacred spaces together that um, can kind of create a better quality of space together that often I don't feel like always happens because we, we are in such a fast-moving world and we don't always have the opportunity to, to be in spaces where we really can honor one another's stories and recognize that everybody does have a story to tell. And, uh, and so one of the things we're actually going to be doing with our office is, um, is offering a series of virtual peace circles. We're still obviously in a, in a tough moment where we can't all congregate in large groups together. Um, but, but it's amazing to me, even in a virtual space using Zoom or Microsoft Teams or what have you, how it's still very possible to, to be able to kind of embrace the, the principles of, of listening and respect and confidentiality and, and, and being able to, to, really reflect on, on big questions that can allow us to use our stories to, um, to connect on a deeper level. And I think that what I found is that these are using circles. Oftentimes we, we come up with much better solutions because if we just jumped to, okay, what's the problem? What's the solution? Well, we all have our own biases, as we've said, right? Mm-hmm. We all have our own limitations and we only have our own experiences. So when we, when we kind of embrace that, hey, there, everybody has a gift to share and everybody has a perspective that will bring us to a better solution, when we finally get to the place of actually talking about what do we do as a community of faith, we're going to have the richness of that diversity and the richness of those different experiences to inform those decisions. And it's about asking, and it's about listening, as you just said. It's about hearing. It's not about us having all the answers for anyone. It's about us, um, you know, one of our colleagues— um, she always, with, I'm going to not name her, but she always sits up front um, at meetings, always, anywhere we go, she's always up front. And one day I asked her, why, why do you always sit up front? Because Catholics, we always sit in the back, right? <laughs> and I mean, she'll be literally in front and there's five rows of emptiness, but she will be up there. And I asked her and she's 
um, in her late 60s, and she said, Beth, when I was young, I had to sit in the back of the church. We weren't allowed to sit up front. And mm. our um, and so I promised myself if the day came that I was able to sit up front, I would always sit up front. And it's just a personal mm. promise she made to herself. And I think about that, like just hearing that story and we think, oh, racism is so far in the past. It's not. It's our lived experience of our brothers and sisters who walk with us. And Ryan and I also work with them. And several folks who are Latino, and um, they tell the stories of having to worship in the basement because while the white folks <laughs> worshipped upstairs, and and you know it's interesting because it's in our own churches, and we um, and we don't think it is, but it is. And mm-hmm. when we hear their stories, I, I I think especially for me, Ryan, when I don't have those experiences, when I hear those, it starts breaking my heart because I'm like, whoa. Um, I had no idea. And the only way we know is if we listen. Yeah. And I think it speaks to the fact that, you know, we, we live in a city and uh, in, in an archdiocese, an area that that is highly segregated. And so mm-hmm. I think it can be easy for us when we when we live in spaces that there there's not um, a lot of diversity. We, we tend to have um, experiences. Our experiences tend to meld more with folks, um, you know, that that we are you know, that we, we see on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And especially yeah. when it comes to the experience of race in this country, I think one of the most important things that we as white folks can do is listen and honor the stories of yes. our brothers and sisters of color. Because, if, you know, if, if we have ears to, to listen to them, they can be transformative. And not to be afraid of that opportunity, but to say there's actually there's there's a piece of reality here that I have been blind to. And that, that and that's part of that's That's, again, very much just a reflection of, of the way that systemic racism works. We're, 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 it's, it's designed for us not to see it because it benefits us. Right. <laughs> um, right. And so, yeah, so there's that, that, you know, we need to, we need to do, I think, some reflection and some preparation that really can allow us to, to be in that space to hear that because it, it can be unsettling. And it can, like I said before, it can challenge us to unlearn or to relearn uh, truths that we just thought we had a total understanding of. And to be humble enough to realize that, um, that, we do participate in white privilege, whether we want to or not. We just do. And mm-hmm. and recognizing that that's a real thing and not claiming it's not. Because it is. It. I mean, mm-hmm. it is. We each can have our own stories. If we contemplate and we think, if I changed my skin color, would that experience have been different for me? And I've had those experiences. And I'm like, wow, that was white privilege. And mm-hmm. I think it's just saying that that happens and it's not my fault in that, but recognizing it's a real thing and, and stop denying that it's a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah. that's part of the listening um, is hearing those stories of folks. So, well, thank you so much, Ryan, for um, taking a, um, some time out of your day to spend and share those resources. And so again, will you just remind our listeners where they can find access to those resources? Yeah, so uh, we are. Um, you can find us online at the um, at the pvm.archchicago.org. That's the the website for our Department of Parish Vitality and Mission that you and I are both part of. Yep. Um, and so, Human Dignity and Solidarity is one of the drop down menus from there. Um, and from there, we'll be we're going to be constantly adding resources uh, over the summer as we as we build out some additional resources. I'm really hoping that this Peace Circle initiative. Um, it would be amazing if we had many many communities around our archdiocese that utilize these circles for a variety of purposes and my hope is really to is to create a community that we can uh, 
we can be sharing resources and sharing uh, ways in which we can accompany one another and using this tool. That's excellent. So as Catholics, we just invite you, our listeners, to, you know, to, um, to learn, to read, to use this summer as a time to educate ourselves and to listen and to engage in ways through our um, different tradition, for through our tradition, engage in ways that can help us um, end this evil of racism. So thank you so much, Ryan, for your, being with us today. My pleasure, Beth, All and right. for your good work. Absolutely. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Can a dead man come back to life?